Hey, 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 this is Stacey Reagan and Michael Doyle bringing you all things Central 301. Welcome to our podcast, The 301. Well, Mike, it's kind of nice to be back in the podcast studio after a seven-month break. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, right? Um, we've all been all over and we're all back, we think, we hope. And uh, ready to move on with an exciting Yeah, seven year. months away doesn't mean we weren't busy. We had a full summer of working a on full summer starting in April. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so today we are lucky enough to have a guest I think everyone wants to hear from. So we are going to meet today with Dr. Esther Mongan, Assistant Superintendent of School District 301. Welcome. Well, thank you. I also want to welcome all staff back uh, to school. It's an exciting time for us, and I think a very exciting time uh, for us to step up and try some new metrics to see where we can get our students, as well as to uh, really push ourselves in terms of that growth mindset that we're always looking for from our students and our staff. Yeah, we um, obviously have been working with our teachers um, really hard this week, and I, I, I do want to express appreciation and gratitude for being given the time for our teachers and for us to be able to go in and, and work with them, and they worked really hard this week, and really some interesting ideas and creative thinking is kind of coming out of this um, situation. and. As a result of that, we asked staff to submit any kind of questions that they might have on each of the days that we focused on, you know, the, the curriculum aspect, the instructional aspect. Um, and so we have lots of questions for you today. And we kind of set them up into categories. So we've got sort of those district expectations, like what are those expectations, like baseline expectations of, of instruction. Um, Discipline is kind of um, something that procedures kind of yeah stuff. like how how are we going to handle you know discipline if students are remote and then you know assessments was definitely something that was coming up especially at the high school um, as as far as those summative assessments and how are we going to handle those and then we kind of have a potpourri some questions that didn't fit in. It could uh, to, come from anywhere in any direction, so be prepared. Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> so um, we're going to start with those kind of district um, instructional expectations. And I think one of the questions is, are teachers going to be allowed to walk around the classroom? I know, speaking for myself, I never sat at my desk. I was always walking around, you know, kind of interacting right. with kids. I think the great thing is that we have great teachers. I think it is going to be challenging to instruct inside of the classroom with all of the different guidelines that are established uh, by IDPH and the ISB. Um, walking within the classroom will have to maintain that six-foot distancing. So the challenge would be making a, yourself aware of where you can walk, uh, where you maneuver some of the classroom management tips that we're used to. We may have to employ different strategies this year. Uh, we're used to proximity. We're used to touching students on the shoulder, using some of those skill sets that may have to be look a little different this year. It is important that, if possible, that you're maintaining that six-foot distancing at all times. Uh, so that will probably limit some of the access that you have in terms of movement inside your classroom. Okay. And I would imagine some of your nonverbal cueing is going to be very different because of the spacing. Absolutely. Right? Well, not just that, but your nonverbal cueing is going to be different because you have a mask on. Right. right. That's the other part, right? Because everybody's wearing a mask. It's, it, it is, you know, it, you're going to have to really use your eyes and your eyebrows a lot. So, you know. <laughs> a lot of eyebrows. And we should, is that part of our PPE eyebrow pencils? <laughs> oh, but maybe we should think about that. that might a good be, idea. That might be a good idea. Trying on your right? face. Yeah. <laughs> Sharpies for everybody. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest questions that I had coming from 
Um, the high school I know Mike did from the middle school and Gail and Leah from not so much elementary because their schedules are going to be a little bit different. Um, but for 612, I think it's that what is my hour going to look like with my students and this, you know, 20 minutes of um, synchronous instructional or audio? I, I, I think some people have questions on that. And, you know, they want to know specifically what does admin want in terms of the 20 minutes of audio? Is independent work okay? Can we plan for 20 minutes of audio and then 20 minutes of work? And I think that's the biggest question. Like, How are we going to be setting up our classes? Yeah, I've received this question myself. Um, I think that there's not a black and white answer for this. I think it depends on the content. It depends on the department. Um, it depends on the grade level. The 20 minutes can be used in a multitude of ways. We have great teachers here. We have phenomenal teachers here at Central 301, and I truly believe that the creativity and the flexibility of that teacher, that professional in that classroom, is probably our best indicator of how to utilize that 20 minutes. Um, I think there's different strategies that we could use within that 20 minutes. <clears throat> excuse me, um, such as <clears throat> excuse me, uh, such as uh, a flipped classroom. So maybe you uh, preload the students at home with some knowledge that you have, whether that be through a videotape, through some lesson that you might want to present for them, something you might have in your Canvas account. They're working on that uh, while you're then checking in with your kids that might be sitting there face to face, and you're giving that front loaded lesson with those students. Then you might. Bring bring them back together to have some discussion relevant to what you instructed or while those students at in their in class session they could be working independently while you're touching base with those students um, via the Google Meets to have that contact with them um, making sure that you're designing your class that maybe the first five minutes of that class period is actually about checking in doing your attendance then giving a little bit of instruction to the entire class and then having those students that are home kind of sign off or, or put mute and just sit there and work independently while looking at that stuff you've given them while you're working with your in class but I don't think there's a real answer that I could say, well, you should do it this way, X, Y, or Z. I think it has right. to be fluid. It has to give the teacher the autonomy to do what they think is best for their students, understanding that um, our students and our parents want our kids connected with their teacher. It's important to have that relationship and making sure that as a teacher you're considering how do I do that? What does that look like? Yeah, because I'm thinking in a, a science class at the high school and, and middle school that if it's a lab day, I mean, the kids sitting remotely will have to participate in the lab on the day that they're actually sitting in class. So in science, I might check in with everyone the first five minutes and the in-person kids might be, you know, doing their lab. And then the remote learners might be working on setting up their lab and getting their lab notebooks ready for when they, they come in. Is that kind of what you're envisioning? I mean, that wouldn't be something that would happen every day. I think that's an interesting concept, absolutely. But I also think I heard from uh, Kelly Stoner I was talking with her, and one of the suggestions she made was doing a demonstration lab. You know, many times you go in oh, someplace and you yeah, have a demonstration lab. About as well. yeah. yeah, so they do a demonstration lab with their students that are in class, but their other kids are monitoring or watching that demonstration lab that's occurring, and then you have activities or questions that could surround uh, what you were doing in terms of that lab. That's a great there. workaround so, yeah. to. Um, Creative yeah, way to think about doing that. CMS. That's what we were talking about the other day. Was demo labs and you know how do we film those? So yeah, that's that's, that's a thought that's out there as well. Yeah, 
Um, I, this question, I think, might have come from an elementary person. What is going to be the required amount of stuff to put in Canvas if we are teaching in person? When will we have time to do this, and do we have to link every assignment to Canvas? So, good um, question. Very good question. I think that regardless of if you're face-to-face -face or remote only, we need to use Canvas. The reason we need to get really inept at doing that, or adept. Adept, <laughs> not inept. Sorry, I don't want you to be inept. I want you to be adept. <laughs> Very adept at using that is because um, we could go remote at any time. We want to be prepared for that opportunity that you've had the experience, you're feeling confident, that students are feeling confident in what your expectations are in the event we go remote. So it's essential that we do that. The expectation is that they're using the template that was designed, that was pushed out into everybody's Canvas account so that they're establishing a format or a platform for both our students and our parents to understand consistently across EC through yeah. 12th grade. We've had pretty positive feedback on the, the template. Right. And, and teachers and I are pretty responsive to it. Um, I know it's a little bit of a change in how things may look for them, but they've, you know, they've run with it, at least at the high school. And some of them very appreciative to have something that is uniform and easy to use. Well, I think that's one of the things we heard back kind of as last year wrapped up was, Everybody was designing Canvas their own way because their students knew it every day when they came in. But when we did go remote and we had parents trying to help kids, there was no uniformity there and, and that frustrated people. So the template, I think, is such a great idea because it does give that one stop, here's where everything starts. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but additionally, I think one of the questions was, what's the expectation for assignments? Well, our expectation is that on a day-to-day -day basis, every day before the students are present, that you put up there what is the outcomes you're looking for for that day, a week at a glance, so that people have a good indication on where we're at and what their expectations are for due dates, for long-term projects, for right. <clears throat> content that's being covered. So some of that stuff is really important to have on your Canvas page and is an expectation that we have to be done whether you're in-house or not. Because we really want to make sure the communication element and the actual procedural elements are put in place in the event that we go to remote learning. So establishing that up front and really making that part of your classroom regardless is going to be essential. I did see a few questions on um, paper pencil. Like, is it going to be okay for teachers to give, you know, especially like there's some subject areas like math is little tough to not do paper pencil but really even especially like the younger grades is it going to be okay for them to have you know a mix a balance of some paper pencil and some things on canvas or are we trying to avoid you know collecting papers from students um, and passing things back no, I think absolutely right I mean we have to go to the job of teaching we have to trust the professionals in the classroom uh, we have to utilize the skills and the tools that we believe are best for the outcome you're looking for. That could mean that you have to use pencil and paper. It may mean that for our remote-only kids that we assign a day for pickups of supplies or mm -hmm. materials or packets like or whatever. Right. You know, There could be times we have to get that material to those parents and communicating that, that this is the day we're going to pick up those materials so that they can be successful for the next unit. For example, same thing in, in class. I think it's definitely we want them to have some structure where they're writing, especially at the early elementary, right? We want that paper, pencil, that contact with how do they do a fluid written piece? How do they put a draft together? What is that writing process they're going through? We'll require them to use the same tools we've always used in terms of trying to get students where we want them to go. 
Great. Um, this one is coming specifically from the high school because I think this is going to be a change for us. Um, it may be middle school, I'm not sure how they are doing it too, but is part of taking attendance during first period now going to be having students sign up for lunches each morning? And I'm wondering if that's Well, the traditionally same the in the past at the middle school, that's kind of how we, they've done it, right? They enter it all in, attendance and lunch count. Yeah, we um, never did and that. High school never did. Yeah. So this might be something more unique for you guys. Yeah, and the elementary does the lunch count right. too. So this might be unique to high school. And actually, uh, Vince Neal put together a really great video on lunch procedures that we can share out that will be on the district website. But there is a Google form that the students will fill out. Okay. Um, so that Google form would be something the first period teacher would want to say, hey, did everybody fill out their Google form so you can have the lunch you're choosing? There's selection choices there so that that form is then given and the lunch workers will actually pick up the response to that and then make the lunches based Got on it. those responses. I'm wondering if maybe that Google form is something we could put in first hour teachers Canvas courses. Oh, sure. And then that way they would have it. Yep. You know, the kids could have access to it every day. That's or a great maybe idea. Your Put it on the list. For your first hour, there's just a link there right. for lunch. Yeah, lunch maybe. counter. Something so there's like. options. Because that'll be different for us at the high school. Right, for yeah. sure. For you guys, it will be very yes. different. Yes. Okay, last kind of question regarding um, just those basic instructional expectations. What is the privacy policy regarding um, our remote students, you know, on the screen? I think we have a lot of teachers who would really like to record their Google Meets. You know, can they turn their Chromebook around to show the whole class to the kids sitting at home? Um, although if they're in a Google Meet, that they'd be able to see them. But I'm thinking specifically for something like theater, you know, being able to watch, you know, kids do a performance kind of thing. Um, so what are, how are we going to be handling that this year? Again, I think it's a teacher's discretion um, in terms of what's working best for them. In terms of student privacy, there really isn't a huge element for student privacy there unless we have students with special needs or students with 504. In that case, we'd want to have a conversation about some special forms that we have that we'd want to utilize for parent permission. In general, in a general education classroom, the privacy of a student really is is signed off on when we sign the parent form for video, uh, newspaper, some of those elements that they agree to. All of us know which students can't be. We'd have to manage that. So teachers that. would have to check yes. for sure to make sure. Right. In general, teachers should know that. Yes. With, with all the video creation stuff we do, I think that's something teachers are probably aware of. Yeah. And if teachers still aren't sure, then they certainly could contact their building administrator just to ask questions. Um, Correct. To I mean, get I, those answers. Yeah, and I think our expectation was not that we're videotaping the entire classroom. Right? Our expectation was that we're getting curriculum to our students. Yeah. So if there's new content that that teacher is somehow providing that curriculum to them um, in means of if they want to do videotape, that's awesome, right? That they can videotape the lesson they're presenting at the front of the classroom would be incredible. Um, and in, in the case of those, I think some teachers have requested that they have the materials that may be to help assist in that, which might be an extra monitor, an extra computer to help them with that strategy. Um, so we're open to giving those kinds of materials to assist teachers in doing that. Um, expectation right now is the 20 minutes of audio. Uh, anything above that we think is absolutely outstanding, uh, but we don't really have yeah, a specific I was expectation. Really super excited to hear a lot of teachers in my building at the high school who wanted to um, record their Google Meet sessions and then 
post them on Canvas for students to go back and look at again, you know, like how did they solve that problem? And, you know, they can go back and, and rewatch it um, as many times as they need to. So I, th I was pretty excited to hear teachers wanting to. And I think that can be a huge classroom management element for you too, right? Students right. absent, you can give them the video, they can monitor yeah. themselves if they're not there. Otherwise, you've got to manage how are you going to handle that student who was absent for that day. Right. Um, and maybe you don't see them for two days. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to your, your um, template for the front of the course, right? And in Canvas, you can create uh, a module in Canvas that has all of those weeks of glance in it. Mm -hmm. So a student who is out for a week or whatever can go back and the parents can go back and look at that week at a glance and say, oh, this is what they were doing last week. Now we know, okay, we're looking for that assignment. Let's go back into the module and mm -hmm. pull it up. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, Mike, on to you. So these are kind of, I guess the category is discipline, but um, it's maybe some more procedural things that people have questions about um, that in reality, we probably all know the answers, but in this environment, we all wonder, oh, has that changed or how is that different than it was before? So the first thing here is, what is the procedure for attendance? And that obviously is going to look different because we have different systems going at elementary versus 612. Yeah, so attendance at the elementary, I'm going to walk my way through. Um, <laughs> first, there's a video that's out there regarding attendance that Vince Nill uh, just completed that will be part of the modules, I think, actually today. It, it, it was yesterday. Okay, yep, yesterday. yesterday, okay. Yep. So that, that will be um, a piece for them to go back to. At the elementary school level, attendance will be taken uh, by the classroom teacher if the students are present in the AM, and then also for the classroom teacher when the students are present in the PM. So they'll do it twice a day. For the specials teachers, those teachers will be taking it if they have actually in their Skyward account an attendance section and they'll see that when they go into their skyward and they'll know to take the attendance for that classroom so they don't take it for every one of their classrooms just those students that they have that element for middle school and high school and really it's not much different than what they've done in the past pretty much they're taking period by period attendance as their students are there uh, including their remote students when they're checking in so when that audio element is happening or when you're having those students check in at the beginning of the period that's when you're taking attendance for those students that are uh, showing up and for our remote only teachers the same thing as soon as that class period begins uh, they would be looking for those students that are attending marking skyward with the attendance just like they always have to ensure that we have the attendance for the day i think it gets a little bit more challenging when the students are not present the entire day and really that's not something the teacher has to worry about they're doing their attendance the secretaries uh, attendance secretaries are worrying about those procedures and policies the one thing that teachers have to think about differently, I think, in terms of their management are those students that um, aren't checking in and what do you need to do? So if they're, if they're sick, that becomes a challenge of, okay, well, how do we generally handle students that are sick? What is the process we use? Procedurally, we usually, usually give them one day to make up the work for every day that they're, they're ill. Right. Um, and we would continue that process. You would have to work with them to get that material. For students who we see are chronically gone, just like we see chronically truant kids today, um, or you know, pre-COVID, that same challenge is where it is today. We'll be monitoring those kids and still following the same procedures that we've always followed. So the procedural elements of attendance are the same. We're very clear, our expectation is that students must check in for attendance. If they don't, it's an unexcused absence. Um, if we can't get some kind of commitment from the parent or a rationale as to why they missed that day. So I'm a teacher and I have um, 
12 kids in my classroom and I happen to have 13 at home doing um, A, B remote. Yep. So they're in my classroom. I'll see them in person the next day. Um, when we have kids who don't show up for the remote part, that's handled just like an absence, right? That is correct. Yep, that would be considered an unexcused absence uh, for them. If they come in late, jump in late, you can always mark them tardy as well. Oh, really? yeah, that came up quite a bit, yep. um, tardy. Like, yep. And, and I, I did tell teachers, you know, we have to give our show a little grace to our students, too, and understanding, like, especially middle school and high school kids, they might be at home with their younger siblings trying to help them you know, do Logging their work, well, right. not to mention trying to do their own things. And I said, you know, if it's a pattern, a repeated behavioral pattern, I think that's when you have to have, you know, those those conversations. Um, or what if my internet is out at home? Or what, you know, all of those what ifs. And I told my teachers that I was working with this week, Make sure that's part of your policies and procedures that you're establishing the first few weeks of school that, you know, you tell your students, you have to actually teach them, even though they're older students, you have to instruct them, okay, if your internet is out, is your phone working? We all know they live for their phones. Right. So yep. they can easily send an email, hey, I'm having troubles logging on, I, I am trying. And then, of course, well, what if that continues to happen? Then that's a pattern. Of repeated behavior and, and that you know will have to be addressed in, in, in other ways but you know I think setting those procedures and policies in your classroom as the teacher is going to be really key um, and following through on on those procedures and policies too I would key. agree I think that if you look at the largest change especially at middle school and high school will be establishing those really clear guidelines yes expectations spending the time not worrying about getting through that curriculum right now i think we have to be cognizant that students haven't been in school for six or seven months we have right. to reteach them on how to do school right and that means yeah. those classroom procedures are going to be essential so spending time to really get to know those students establish those procedures being clear about what your guidelines are and what your expectations are, and then holding those kids to that accountability metric is going to be essential um, over the course of the first three weeks. I think once you get past three weeks, um, the grace goes a little bit away. Absolutely, right? We, right. we no longer have that kind of grace. But to get going, I think absolutely you're true. That's very correct. Yeah, a grace lot of reinforcement important. the first few yes. weeks. Yeah, and teaching, actually instructing. Yes, and following through on regular life skills solving problem kind of stuff right absolutely yeah, right that, that we I, all take for granted yeah we and take for granted yeah. and our students definitely still need help with right sure my 20 year old son is the same way i mean he called me last yesterday i don't know what to do I'm like could you please just problem solve this i'm dealing with other problems <laughs> so all right so much in the same vein of the attendance and what if a kid doesn't show up uh you know, on remote learning when they're supposed to. What about if we have disciplinary issues with a remote learner? How? What's the best way to handle that? So I think that um, classroom management is different. It's going to look different. But as a teacher, we still have an expectation that classroom management is handled. Um, so I would. I don't know. There's a black and white answer because depending on what the issue was, there's probably a different result, a different end result. Um, if a student is doing something that is harmful to themselves or to others, including the teacher, that should definitely go to administration immediately. If a student is doing something that is disruptive in the classroom, 
then I think there has to be probably initial classroom management strategy and how are you going to deal with that inappropriate behavior inside your classroom just like you would if they were in your classroom. Right. Like any other behavior that you're Correct. seeing. Right. Correct. Um, so I think it depends on the scale of what's happening and then how we would deal with that. Um, we have the parent handbook, parent student handbook. Our expectation is that students perform the same regardless if they're home or in the classroom in terms of behavior as what they would if they were inside that classroom. And if they aren't, the appropriate measures would be consistent with what you would have done in the past years. Right. It's just that same what you're doing now, it just is going to look a little bit different, different, a few tweaks here and there. Yep. And setting up those procedures in the first right. two or three weeks is going to be really, really essential. Yep. So following that up, and I, I think we kind of know where this is going, is there a set standard of consequences for students who don't follow expectations? I guess that really depends on what what has happened, right? What the behavior was. Correct. And it really follows, again, the same thing we've always followed with the student parent handbook. I think that the biggest challenge is making sure our parents understand we're back to normal school. We're not back to where we were last spring. There is accountability metrics. We expect students to attend. We expect students to do their work. We expect students to behave. We expect students to be there when we tell them to be there and follow the teacher's directions. If those things aren't occurring, the same processes we would have followed pre-COVID are the same things we're going to do this year. And we're trying to make sure our parents understand those expectations are very clear in terms of we are now no longer in last spring's roles. We're in a whole new role in terms of our expectations. Well, and I, I think last spring for our teachers in the community Right, it, it was a big change, and we kind of mm -hmm. had to take a deep breath and say, "Okay, let's survive this. Educate well, I, kids the best we can." I think we, we were crisis the the teaching. Yes. It wasn't, right. you know, teaching. It, it, it was a crisis situation. And the expectation now is we're it's school and we're teaching. Right, correct. Right, mm -hmm. we're, we're we're trying to be as close to normal as we can be correct. in an abnormal situation. Exactly, and understanding there's some grace there for teachers too. I think what I'm hearing from teachers is the fear of getting in trouble for not doing something right or being afraid to take a risk or not taking a chance on something different because they don't know if it's going to turn out. And for us, we want that. We want a growth mindset. We want them to take risks. We want them to try things outside the box. They're not always going to be successful. Teaching isn't always successful, and that's okay. You know, maybe we thought we were going to get somewhere today and we, we couldn't even go there. You know, we didn't get even close to that. And understanding that we know that what you put inside of a Canvas account for a week could be thrown out with the bathwater, just like it is when you teach. It's not always a perfect science. And our expectation is to, you know, that we understand that, that we just want to have parents and students understand where they should be. Things happen, and there is still grace for everybody, including our staff, to allow them the flexibility, the creativity, the risk-taking that we want to occur in this time, this unprecedented time of really some unknowns on how we're going to have students interact, react, um, you know, what kind of engagement we're going to get, how do we go about that engagement. It's going to be a process of change, of collaboration, of shifting, of flexibility, of um, grace. And I think we have to remember that. This is not about an I got you or looking for certain things. We just need to set some minimum guidelines so we at least know where to start. And then we have to be flexible enough to change if things aren't working. Well, well we always forget the, the first lesson we learn. And that is when we try to walk, we fall down. Exactly. And we get back up and we try it again and we fall down. Or when we're trying to learn how to ride a bike, right? Yep. You, you have, everyone, 
everyone is going to experience that this year for sure. Absolutely. Right. And the the idea is to find out. Okay, so how do I make it work as we go? And and that that is teaching every year. Yeah. Because every group um, of kids it's is different. Problem solving and being solution oriented. Right. And I I had conversations with teachers and told them we need to be forgiving of ourselves and know that we are going to make mistakes and it this is different um i think what a lot teaching you know and instructing students in a different way but we still know teaching it's it's just how to manage that but i i do think teachers have to be forgiving of themselves and sort of let it go a little bit of those well this isn't how i i Mm -hmm. normally instruct and i'm afraid i'm going to be bad and you're not going to be bad. You're a, you know, you're, you're a, a great teacher. teacher a good, and, right. You know, and do and, what you do. Right. right. And it will be okay. Yeah. I, I always think it's interesting that we, a lot of people probably don't realize it outside of education, but in education, there are a lot of type A personalities, a yes. lot of type A personalities. Yeah. And that goes to what you're saying right. is that we can't, there's no way I can do that because that will fail. It's and tough this for is me. Try to true and it works, yeah. but, but it might not work now. Correct. Right. Let's go back to the core of what we are as educators, and that is flexibility, right? We always talk about being Gumby. Flexibility, right. flexibility, flexibility. Right. And I think great teachers will always be great, right? I don't care what position or what, what restraints or constraints or whatever they're put under. They always rise up, and they're able to do that. And we know here at Central, we have great teachers. I have no doubt, and I've told our Board of Education, no doubt, that our teachers can do this. I believe they have the skill sets, and we have the staff that can do this. I think we have to learn to have grace for all parties. You know, I know even for us, when we're just setting procedures and policies and we're trying to make decisions and in a very fluid environment right now, you know, we keep reading some really bad things about what's going on. But I think sometimes we have to step back and we have to say, whoa, let's put ourselves in everybody's shoe. Let's try to understand where we're at and let's have grace for everyone inside of this unprecedented time as we're trying to move forward and make the best decisions we can for our students and our community. Yeah. Um, moving on to assessments then, will remote-only teachers be able to utilize OTIS for formative summative assessments in the form of our district assessments? So this is a challenging question, um, <laughs> and I don't know that I have a 100% um, answer for that. Um, yes, I believe they can use formative for sure, no problemo, right? I think the question becomes when we get to summative and the grade level and where the comfort level of grade level teachers, content level teachers, departments, those. I think that's a bigger conversation that probably needs to happen once we get going in school, yeah. especially know, at the end of the Especially the summative yeah. assessments. I know teachers were concerned because, you know, they work really hard yes. on those summative assessments and then you know, to not have them locked down as safely, you know, as they right. were hoping to, you know, because you could have kids who are remote and taking an assessment and yeah, they have lockdown browser, but they could have something else open helping you know them, and so I I, I do know that's a, a stressor right now. But right. certainly it'll be addressed in the coming. Yeah, I think weeks, it's conversations months. we have to have um, at different levels. Um, at elementary, I don't think there's probably as much of a shot of cheating as there might be. Although parents are at home, um, not saying that they would, but you know I think there's some challenges for our teachers to make sure they're assessing the student. Right. Right. And so I think that's a bigger conversation. But in terms of pre-assessments, the pre-tests. 
Um, I think those are definitely could be given. They're just a snapshot of skill sets we're looking for. So I think the pre-assessments could be utilized with no problem. The formative assessments that you've built, absolutely. The summatives, I do think there's probably more conversation that has to occur. Yeah, and formative assessments come in all, all kinds. kinds of yeah. shapes, yeah. sizes, and yeah. yeah, and so those, I mean, we did have um, a module in our training this week on, on formative yep. assessment and, and formative feedback, you know, as a part of that process. Right. All right. This isn't a question, um, and this is from straight from our document. This isn't a question, but I feel like we are reinventing the wheel by creating formative assessments to guide our instruction when we already use pretests for that very reason. I understand there will be gaps, but as primary teachers, we all are well-versed in identifying gaps. I feel we don't need to create assessments to help find gaps as we do these things all throughout the year to drive our instruction. Um, I would agree that you don't have to do new formative assessments. I think the intent of the work they did with vertical articulation, I'm guessing this is coming from the, ver yeah, it, ver it is. the vertical articulation day, was that there could be standards or essential skills that could have been missed from the year prior and you don't would not have had a formative assessment to really assess that skill because you would have assumed those students came with that skill or that standard already. So when we talked about the formative assessment from that element, it was for the content they would not have taught from the previous year. Um, and that's where that should have been. Otherwise, we already know they have formative assessments they're using now. We're not asking them to reinvent the wheel or to make new assessments for that. Those have been developed, and of course, uh, as teaching, we're always looking at different ways to assess formatively our students just by watching them, walking around, talking to them. It's, there's lots yeah. of ways we can assess the student, exit slips, entry slips. I mean, there's tons of those out there. We do not expect that they're reinventing anything. So yeah. I'm, 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 I guess I'm saddened that they thought that was the intent. The whole purpose of the Vertical Articulation Day was to really find out where the holes or the skill deficits were for our students as they entered in from the spring of last year to this fall, and that's what we wanted to assess. Okay, uh, kind of piggybacking on the articulation day, will this articulation for gaps be a standard activity at the beginning of each school year? Would or should the articulation happen at other times in the year for further support during the year? Um, we vertically articulate all the time in our SAC teams. So subject area committee teams are articulating all the time across all grade levels throughout the course of the year as part of the Curriculum Council's responsibilities. In terms of it, will this be done on an annual basis, no. Um, honestly, we did it this year primarily because we knew there were skill deficits. Now, let's see how this year goes, right? We may have to revisit this next year. Uh, depending on how the 2021 school year lays out and, and what's going on in this unprecedented time. So I would never say never, uh, but at this point in time, it's not something I would anticipate to happen on an annual basis. Our teachers at every grade level do a phenomenal job of meeting the standards for all of our students and getting them where they need to know, go. We also assess kids to know who have deficits, so mm -hmm. I don't think there's necessarily a need every year to have the conversation that was necessary there, this year. There is an articulation day usually built in at the end of the year, isn't there? No, or? that was removed at the elementary school level. Um, I, I don't do elementary. I want to say two or three years ago, oh, maybe, okay. so they no longer articulate. That was more articulation of students, students that had deficits and, and concerns, not necessarily on curriculum. Okay. Mike, on to you. Potpourri. So maybe this is rapid fire here at the end. <laughs> Great. Um, but these are just some comments and questions that came that didn't quite fit the other category. Okay. So uh, first one is one that I have asked you personally, and <laughs> I, I know the answer on this one. 
What is going to be the number of COVID infections to shut down a building or the district? <laughs> and of course, and of course, this there, is not your answer, is it? I mean, it's not your decision. No, it's not my decision. There isn't really a set number. Uh, we work in conjunction with Kane County Health Department. We always have. This is not a new procedure for us. Our nurses consistently monitor the number of flu. Uh, individuals out with the flu every year. We, and they have to we, report and that. And they have to report that to Kane County Health Department. And then Kane County tells us if we reach a number that we have to shut down. That happens now. It's no different for the COVID-19. I'm sure the number will be lower than what it was for the flu. Well, we don't have a given number. It really is us working in partnership with Kane County Health Department. They ultimately make that decision in terms of when we meet that number and when they believe we should shut down. What is important to understand, though, is that an entire school doesn't have to shut down. So we could shut down Kane County. When I say we, I'm, I'm talking Kane County and, and us in collaboration. Could shut down a classroom. Could shut down a wing of a building. Could shut down an entire building, but other buildings stay open. Or we could shut down the entire district. So the metrics will be given by different locations as well and making those calls based on that. So maybe a follow-up on that. If we do have a situation where we have to shut down a classroom, a wing, or maybe a building, mm-hmm. do they go to remote learning? Yes. Is so as soon as, as, yep, as, soon okay. as we would have to shut down... Um, we would go directly into remote learning only, so the education consistently remains for all of our students and our staff. The same could happen, I think it's important for our community members to know, and even our staff to know, that the same could happen in the event we have so many illnesses that we can't get subs. And so if we get oh, in a situation yeah. where we can, we're not able to get subs due to the number of staff that might be out, regardless if it's COVID-19 or not, uh, it may be that it's necessary that we have to go into remote learning for that day or a period of time based on those um, mm-hmm. those numbers. Uh, this one is very important. <laughs> Where will staff eat lunch? <laughs> well, staff should not congregate in any large areas, right, uh, over 50. Um, for the most part, I don't think we generally have staff members that hit that mark, but they must maintain that six-foot distancing uh, and they won't have masks on, so they need to be cognizant of that. So I think they have to be where they're comfortable. It might be in their own classroom. Uh, it could be in the teacher's lounge, but they have to be cognizant of keeping that six-foot distancing right? and spacing yeah. that they're there. So um, it's really going to be up to each individual teacher. Outside is a great place right now. It's gorgeous weather. Enjoy the outdoors and maybe eat outside. Uh, it's a good option for staff as well. Um, so it's really going to be up to every individual teacher to do you know, what they believe they're most comfortable to do. I have a, a special extra I'm going to add to potpourri at the end. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> if students are quarantined, do they join a remote-only group? It's a really good question. I've gotten that question from teachers, and I've gotten that question from uh, parents. Um, no, they would stay in their same classroom. So whoever that, that teacher that's assigned to that classroom, they would be responsible for working with that student. It's really not unlike... Uh, when students come to us and they want to go on a vacation and they get that slip that was signed that says I'm going away for a week or I'm going away for two weeks and then we provide them with the materials they need to continue their education. That would be the same when they're out for a quarantine uh, due to a sibling being sick or themselves being quarantined. Um, I think it's always our hope that the students will still sign in for remote learning unless they're really sick. If they're just being quarantined, they should sign in as if they were one of those remote students on that alternating day or remote-only students, and we would expect them to go ahead and sign in and still be expected yeah, they to complete could work. log in every day. They could log in every single day. Yeah. Only if they're sick, obviously they can't, and right. we would want to know that. But uh, generally speaking, under quarantine, they should be able to log in and complete their work. Uh, how about 
Can teachers take their classes outside for learning? Yes, um, teachers can take their classes outside for learning. The challenge will be to make sure they maintain that six-foot distancing even when outdoors. Um, and so they'll want to make sure that they have strategies in their minds about how are they going to manage that, make sure that they've talked about those procedures with their students, make sure they know what space they're going to, and, and establishing for the class what does that look like outdoors. You know, just because we're outdoors, you still have to maintain that six-foot distancing outside. Will that be maybe a building-by-building building sign-up so that principals know where classes are or that, you know, not every single class is going out at the same time or... Um... Yes, that'll be important. Um, PE will probably get first dibs on that to go outside sure. because we need that physical exercise. Uh, we only have certain spaces they can go to, so we need to do that. And it's also important that the teacher takes a radio with them so that uh, in case something were to happen, they can radio into the building. So those kinds of procedures should be established at each building, at each building. and it would be building by building. Okay. What PPE should staff expect to receive from the district? Um, we currently have a list that we put together for every category of position. And within that category of position, we've assigned specific PPE that that teacher needs. Um, if a teacher feels like they don't have enough PPE, they surely should be checking with their building administrator to get whatever they think they would need. Um, PPE can range anything from just a mask, mask and gloves, mask, gloves, and a face shield, mask, gloves, face shield, and a sneeze guard, gowns. Um, usually the gowns are for our nursing personnel or other people who are going into some of those isolated areas. Um, so we have quite a bit of PPE um, materials available, but we've designed it based on what the high risk or the risk of those staff members are for different categories of positions and different grade levels based on what we're establishing as a specific PPE for every classroom. Every teacher should expect that they have sanitizers in their classrooms, with the exception of elementary who have sinks. Uh, we know that there is a, a study out that says that actually washing your hands with soap and water is better. It's better, yeah. Yes, than disinfectant. So I think that, you know, we want to make sure that for those school, those buildings and those classrooms that have sinks that we're actually washing hands washing and teaching hands. good washing strategies. Also important to note that we do expect that every student, you know, hand sanitizes in and hand sanitizers out of every period. Yeah, I noticed at the high school, they're at all the doors and they're automatic. Yes, they're they're, on, yep. Yeah, they don't have to touch anything. Yep, so we want them in and out. We call them foaming in, foaming out, even though it's not foam, but it's a good way to think about it. Yeah. We want students to yeah. foam in and foam out anytime they enter a classroom or anytime they exit a classroom to try to minimize and mitigate any issues. What if um, students refuse to wear face masks or... Ooh, you're getting to my surprise question. Oh darn! Sorry. <laughs> so my so we can we, I'll follow up with you. Go ahead. I am just wondering. I mean, sometimes we have a difficult time, or ch I, sh I should say, challenging time, getting students to follow the dress code. Um, what happens if I'm a teacher? I'm sitting in class, and a kid takes his face mask off and then gives me grief about it. Um, so we have a couple things. Um, for some students, they'll have medical authorization to not wear a face mask. Um, for that case, we're, we're going into kind of a stepped-up model. So if they can't wear a face mask due to medical reasons, we would go with a face shield. And if they still can't wear the face shield, we would go with a sneeze guard. The sneeze guard is those plastic yeah, elements. The, no, the elements that sit on your desk 
where there's a separation between you and anybody around you. So it'd be a sneeze guard. If they can't do that, we'd have to be working with parents to see and the doctors to see what other accommodations we made. And maybe we would have to determine if we could or could not educate them inside of our uh, facilities. For students who don't have a medical need and just are refusing to use that, we have a stepped-up approach to discipline. It's pretty aggressive. The first time they get sent to the office. Uh, at the office, we call the parents and we send them home. Uh, they don't go back to the classroom. They simply go home. The second time they get sent down to the office, again, we make a phone call home. We send them home again. And then the third time uh, it happens, we will not have them return back to school. They will be re considered a remote-only mm -hmm. student. Okay. Um, so it is our expectation that all students will wear masks That's and fantastic. maintain those on their face at all yeah, times. Yeah, because I can envision it happening. Sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the way the world is today that there are, everything gets politicized, right? And someone's going to say, it's my freedom to not wear one or whatever. So following up on that, the bonus question is, uh, can teachers allow students to take mask breaks? Yeah, I just want to correct. I think I maybe missed it. I'd have to look at the handbook, but I believe the first one is a phone call home, not sent home. Got it. Second one's a phone call sent home. Sent home. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, no, kids cannot take masks off. One of the questions that I had seen come across is, can my kids have snacks in my room? The answer is no. Right. They cannot have snacks in your rooms because they need to keep their masks on at all time. Another question I received was, <clears throat> excuse me, if I'm a teacher, can I drink coffee and water in my classroom? Yes. Right? You're going to get thirsty. Your mouth's going to get dry. You remove your mask for the time mm -hmm. being to take the sip of your coffee, take the sip of your water, and you put your mask back on. Same thing we're going to do for our students, right? We're allowing them to bring water bottles in. For the time that they're taking that drink, they can remove the mask down, and we're going to ask them to pull it underneath their chin, not to completely take it off. I mean, just pull it down on their chin, take the drink of water, and pull, pull it back, back up when they're done. Uh, but for food, we're not allowing food or snacks inside the classroom, really to mitigate any reason for a student uh, to take that mask off. Okay. Um, so zero mask breaks. Zero mask breaks. That's a great question. Yo, now, if I, they go outside for PE or you're taking your class outside and they're six feet apart, can they take their masks as, off then? As long as they're outside and do not break the barrier of six feet apart, okay. they can take their masks down. Perfect. Okay. Well, that is a lot. Holy but moly. answers a bunch of questions people have had. I there. think so. So I, I, I do hope people listen to this because, you know, it's definitely high anxiety, you know, go time and but you're I, coming I, in Monday, whether right. you're ready or but not. Over the weekend, <laughs> yeah. But over the weekend, take a deep breath. Yes. Try to relax and know you're going to be able to handle it. You're going to be okay. Yep. You're going to get there. Just like everything else, it might be bumpy for a week or two. There are going to be things that pop up that never could have been considered. But as a professional educator, you're going to be okay. You're yep. going to get there. I say breathe. Remember to give grace to people to understand that we're all trying to survive in a very unknown world with constantly changing guidelines and to just be flexible. Like you said, I think it's important to remember Gumby's our friend right now. We all need to be Gumby and just really try to take a deep breath, try to enjoy what we're doing, try to enjoy the kids coming back and the energy. Um, I know I had the uh, benefit of seeing a movie that's kind of videos coming out from the high school, uh, Walking Back Kids, um, that I believe uh, Mr. Billen put together or helped put together. And it's, it almost gives you chills, uh, the excitement that we saw from the teachers that were speaking. It was really that fun video. to see everyone. So, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited. I want to yeah. see so I feel like I, ha I feel like my social skills have kind of fallen myself. <laughs> 
Yes. You know, because I haven't seen a lot of people in the last clothes, seven months. Clothes that don't fit anymore. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Elastic waistband pants for, for me, right. it is. <laughs> for yeah. everyone, I think. Yeah. Well, you have been listening to The 301. I'm Michael Doyle. I'm here with Stacey Reagan. Our special guest today was Dr. Esther Mongan. You can listen to The 301 anywhere you find podcasts, such as Anchor FM and iTunes. We'll see you next time. <laughs>